Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jeff Pruitt. I'm the children and young families pastor here, and I'm in the middle of teaching, preaching this series uh, on contentment and the biblical understanding and idea of contentment and its importance. So if you are here last week, uh, we kind of kicked off this series. If you weren't here last week, a quick little recap is we started off, we defined contentment um, and understood that, that contentment is really a spiritual issue that it's, it's being satisfied with, with what God has given you and, and who God has made you um, because we recognize that, that Jesus is the greatest treasure that we can have in this world and that there's nothing in this world that compares in any, like even close to Jesus. And so as Christians, we... Uh, Paul, we looked at in in Timothy, was writing to Timothy and and he was in Ephesus. He was leading this church. There were false teachers who were coming in who were trying to use their godliness and try to pretend like they were really strong followers of Jesus, all the while trying to use that for their own financial gain so that they could earn for themselves. And so Paul is writing to this guy, Timothy, that we looked at last week, saying to Timothy, as the leader of this church, you need to be different. You need to be godly, but be content with your godliness. And he says to him, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contrasting these other false teachers who are trying to use their godliness to gain for themselves. And so we looked at the idea that that contentment is a key aspect of the Christian life. Yes, we are to be Christ-like. We are to follow after Jesus. Our goal is to become more and more like Christ, but a part of that becoming more and more like Christ should come with this contentment in our life where we can say that we are satisfied, we are joyful, we are happy, we are good with who God has made us, who God is making us as we become more like Christ. So that was kind of last week. And then this week, we're going to kind of shift and look at the enemy of contentment and what the enemy of contentment is. But before we do that, a quick little story um, as we kind of get started, it does apply to what we're talking about. So many of you know, most of you know, we have a weekday preschool here. Many of you probably have had kids who have come through the weekday preschool. It's an awesome program. Last week, we had our donuts with dads. And so dads were were able to bring their kids in and they came out front um, and they came in here and they did donuts and all that stuff. Just a little quality time, a little special time with dads and their kids before preschool, I got to man the photo booth. So we had a photo op out there and I was in charge of taking the pictures for all the dads. So as the dad walked in, I would grab their phone. I would take a picture of all the kids with their dads. They were all so cute. It was so wonderful. But the thing that I kept going to, because I'm kind of a techie guy. I don't know if any of you guys are techie guy. You know, of course, whenever I got that phone, I'd always look at the phone. Oh, that's a Samsung. Oh, that's an iPhone. Is that a 13? You know, and so um, it got my mind wondering and thinking about uh, technology and specifically iPhones, because I at one point was an Apple fanboy. I don't know. Have any of you been an Apple fanboy before? You know what that means? Apple fanboy, it means like anytime Apple came out with a product, you felt like you had to have it. 
and you followed closely everything that came. So there was the iPhone. Oh, I need that. The iPhone 2. Oh, I need that. iPhone 3. Oh, look at this. This has even better camera. Or iPads came out. Then, then the watches came out. Then the Apple TVs came out and Macs and all this stuff. And so at one time I was, I am guilty of being that type of person who every time this new one came out, I felt like I needed to have it. So Apple iPhone has been out for 15 years. 2007 was its introduction date. And so I just, I just thought it was funny. I don't see if you guys uh, know any of these answers of a little quiz on the original Apple iPhone. And this does connect, I promise you, in some way. All right. So original Apple iPhone. So now most of our phones run on like 5G LTE network. Does anyone remember and know what network it ran on in 2007, the original iPhone? Dial up, America Online, right? No, it's not 3G. It was actually 2G. It started with 2G. Could you imagine visiting a website in 2G now? It was 2G. It was only available on one cell network, cell company. Does anyone know what that was? It wasn't. It was not Verizon. It was AT&T. It started out only on AT&T because I remember I switched just for the iPhone. I told you I was an Apple fanboy. All right, there was no app store. There was no wallpaper. So you got the black wallpaper on the back with the icons in front. That's all you could get. There was no copying and pasting. There were no images in the text messages. Does anyone know about how much that original iPhone cost? There are a lot more now, but it was still a hefty amount. $500, that's right. They were about $500. So think about that. That was 15 years ago. The original iPhone came out. Now we are 15 years down the line. And does anyone know what the newest iPhone model is? The 13, right? Oh, another fanboy. Very nice. Apple iPhone 13 is the new one. So in 15 years, they have come out with 13 different models of the iPhone. I think there may have been another one in there. I'm not sure. But it's amazing. This this amazes me how much society and big tech and big business has us exactly where they want us. Because you know what they have? They have convinced us that we need to upgrade our stuff every single year, right? Like every time a new product comes out, what do they do? They, they go to the TV commercials, the, the commercials on the internet, wherever it is, and they show you the new features that the new upgraded item has, right, to convince you that you're holding this year old phone and you're like, mine doesn't have that. Oh, mine, mine doesn't have that. Mine doesn't have that. And they're convincing you to compare what you have with what they are now offering, convincing you that you have an inferior product, that you need more, that you're not going to get the most out of what you have unless you upgrade to this new thing. So that's what, that was my musings last week as I was looking at all these different phones. Like, it's funny how many different phones came across and how often in these past 15 years as an Apple fanboy, I upgraded to a phone that I really didn't need because I thought it had better features that I probably didn't even use very often, right? And so that's, that's the funny thing. And it, it kind of um, highlights the enemy of contentment. 
Because I think buying 10 to 13 phones over the period of 15 years probably speaks a little bit to my heart that, hey, you're a little discontent. You have a, a spiritual issue here more than just a needing a new phone issue, right? And this is the issue or the enemy of contentment. It is comparison. So comparison is the enemy of contentment. So this morning, what I wanna do is, is really just highlight highlight the enemy of contentment, call it out for what it is, and really ask God to work in our hearts so that we can begin to step away from comparing ourselves all the time to other people, to other things, and move more towards Jesus and being content and having a relationship with him. So um, the, iPod, the Apple iPhone, that's just, one, that's just one example. Think about cars. Every year, there's a new model of car. Boats, every year, there's a new model, model of boat. Like sporting stuff, there's always new equipment. Everything, every year, we feel like we're missing out on something. It's the culture that we're in now. So here's, here's the issue with this comparison. And I wanna set up a scenario and see if you ever have experienced this. Um, because this is what happens to me when I am discontent. And I believe it is a spiritual issue is I usually will observe someone or something like I'll observe someone or something, which is fine. That's, that's neutral. That's fine. Observing other people and the things they have and, and all of that is totally okay. But usually if I don't watch my stuff, I'll take a next step and I'll go from just observing to comparing and this is when we start to get into this a little dangerous territory because we don't really stop at just comparing because what happens when we compare and we realize that someone has something better than us or has more of this or this thing is better than what we have, comparison quickly leads to envy and leads to jealousy and leads to, well, I don't see why I can't have the same things that whoever it is has or why I shouldn't deserve that as well. And then we even have a further step. We go from observing to comparing. That comparing leads to envy. And the worst case scenario of all is envy causes us to distrust the goodness of God. Because what it says is I don't have these things I should have these things. I deserve to have these things. God, why haven't you given me the resources to, to give me these things? And so it quickly moves up to God and becomes a spiritual issue when we distrust the goodness of God because we've started off comparing ourselves with other people and what they have, becoming envious of it, and then saying, God, why don't you give me these things? I mean, if you look through scripture, consistently from beginning to end, there is a constant warning, constantly danger. Envy is dangerous. Stay away. Jealousy is not where you want your heart to reside. I'm just thinking through a few of these, Adam and Eve, to start off with Adam and Eve. I mean, this is exactly what happened. I mean, God set up Adam and Eve nice, didn't he? The garden, the relationship with him, walking with him daily. And there was one rule right? One limit to what they could not do. This one fruit, don't eat from the one fruit. That's it. And the serpent comes along and what does he do? He convinces Adam and Eve to compare. Well, see what you have. I mean, that's nice, but God has it all. Yeah, you have a lot of knowledge, but 
there's a greater knowledge that you could be like God. So you're missing out on some of what's out there. Compare yourself to God. There's another step for you. And what do they do? They become jealous. They become envious and they think that God is not good. And they think that God cannot be trusted because he didn't give them more than what they have. And they had almost everything. And the serpent convinced them to lose their trust in God, to disbelieve God, because he convinced them to compare and realize they could be more like God if they ate of the fruit. And they ate of the fruit. And we all know the story from there. But that's just the beginning. You know, there's, there's Cain and Abel right after Adam and Eve, right? Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice to God. Abel's was, Abel had a better sacrifice, a more meaningful sacrifice. It caused Cain to get jealous and envious, and he killed his brother because of it. You know, there's, there's uh, the 10 commandments that Moses brought out. One of the key tenets of the Old Testament faith and our faith now, do not covet anything of your neighbor. Look at this, Ecclesiastes verses four, four through eight says this. I saw the toil and all the achievement that spring from one person's envy of another. This is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then later on eight, verse eight, there was a man all alone. He had no son, no brother, but there was no end to his toil because his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So in Ecclesiastes, he's looking over the world and he's seeing these people who are comparing themselves with others who don't have as much as others. So they work harder and harder and harder to get more and more and more. And all the while they're sacrificing their enjoyment of life and their enjoyment of what God has given them because of how much work they're doing, because of their envy, because of their discontentment. There's, there's plenty more. Here's another one. James 3.16 says that where jealousy is, you'll find every disorder and every vile practice. Luke 9.46, the disciples in Luke 9.46, think about the disciples. They were following Jesus around. Jesus, the most humble person that has ever walked the face of this earth. Jesus, who served better than anyone else. Jesus, who didn't have a home to live in. He didn't have very, any possessions at all. He had his relationship with God the Father. That was enough for him. The disciples were following Jesus around around seeing him do miracles. And every time they stood back and started discussing amongst themselves, what was it they started discussing? Who was the greatest in the kingdom? Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, I mean, even the disciples seeing the very embodiment of humility, contentment, and um, God Christ-likeness in Jesus still didn't get it. They still wanted to compare themselves with each other, trying to figure out who was going to be the greatest. And of course, Jesus said, the least of these is the children who will be the greatest. So this is why comparison is such a dangerous thing. It's a trap that we can fall into when we observe what other people have or things that, that even come across our TV screen or that drive down the road or other people in our, in our jobs, offices, schools, wherever it is. It's a dangerous thing because if we don't guard ourselves, observing other people can quickly move in to comparison. And comparison leads many times to envy. So this is why I think Paul, um, and really all of the Bible talks so clearly against this. So we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. If you have your Bible or your apps, whatever you may have to access God's word, it'll also be up on the screen. A little background for what happens here with Paul. If you were here last week, you read that there were false teachers or you heard that there were false teachers that were infiltrating the, the church in Ephesus, trying to gain followers for themselves and trying to pretend like they were super godly so they could have financial and personal gain. This wasn't a problem just in Ephesus. This was a problem throughout the ancient world at that time. So very similar things were happening in Corinth as well. And this is when Paul is writing these letters to the Corinthians. Paul, he's a missionary. He plants churches. He gets the churches going. He leaves leaders in charge of these churches. And then he heads on to the next place to plant the next church, has gotten word about what's going on in Corinth. And it's, it's like, it's a, um, it's a disaster, it seems like. It's just, it's very bad because what has happened is many false teachers, leaders have infiltrated the church in Corinth now. And not only are they trying to gain followers for themselves, they're also trying to discredit Paul and everything that Paul had done. Because this is what happened back in in, in these times is in order to gain a following, what you would do is you would share about your own accolades and you'd share about your own achievements and you would share with the people, this is why you can trust me. This is why you should follow me. You would take that, share that, you know, praise yourself really largely. But not only that, then you would compare all of these great things about yourself with the other teachers and the other leaders that you wanted the people to shun so that they would follow you. So it was this huge comparison game in in this time period. All of the different teachers were vying for followers. They would compare and contrast and badmouth the uh, the competition while they're puffing themselves up and very conceited, sharing about themselves so that people would follow them. So this was dangerous because Paul had gone in with the gospel. Paul had gone in with the truth of Jesus Christ, shared truth with them. He left. And as soon as he left, these other wolves swept in and tried to take over and tried to discredit everything that he said. So Paul in 2 Corinthians, if you've ever read through the book of 2 Corinthians, this letter, he basically throughout the letter is coming up against these accusations about him that he has to defend himself against. And another thing that you would think would happen or in that time they would be expecting to happen from Paul is once Paul kind of defends himself against these people, you would also think if he were like them, he would also begin to puff himself up also and talk big about himself and about all of his accomplishments and all of his accolades while comparing himself to these other teachers and telling why he is so much better than them, bad-mouthing them, degrading them so that the people would follow him. But that's not what Paul does. And this is very telling in verse um, number 12, chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We're just going to read this one verse, and this is what Paul says. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's a lot of themselves, isn't it? But basically, as what I was just saying is they would create a standard that, 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 
was below them tell the people why they were so much greater than this standard and why all the other teachers are below that standard, therefore trying to commend themselves so that the people would follow them. So you would expect Paul to come back at them as a retort to say, no, let me tell you why I'm so great. And let me tell you why all these other teachers are so horrible. But Paul says, no, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So Paul's response is simply, I'm not playing this game, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, Corinthians, here's the deal. I came to you. I shared the truth of Jesus. Like me or not, I shared the truth. I cared for you. I loved you. I walked as Jesus walked in humility and in service. You saw what I did. You saw who I was. I'm not playing this comparison game. You know the truth and you can choose to follow in the truth. But I'm not playing this game. I I love that because the expectation of the world was very different than the reality of what Jesus called Paul to do. And it's no different with us. The expectation of the world is for us to play the comparison game. The expectation of the world is that when we watch those commercials on TV or or those internet ads that show how much better this next thing is, the expectation of the world is that we are going to pull out whatever we have or put it in our minds. We're going to observe the new thing. We're going to compare it. We're going to get envious and jealous of it. We're going to decide that we've got to have that in order to be happy or to be content, and we're going to buy it. But Jesus offers a much better way, doesn't he? And it's not just things that we buy, it's it's positions that we try to take here with influence in society. We see where someone else is, we want to get there, we do whatever we can to get there, no matter what it takes, no matter what things we may, what relational rules we may break or in the way we treat other people. And this the way of the world to get ahead, to get ahead, to get ahead, to get more, to get more, to get more, and it feeds on discontent. And Paul says, I'm not playing that game. I don't need the accolades. I don't need the praise of people. I don't need all this stuff. I don't need all of these things of the world to make me content, to make me happy, to make me satisfied. Because Paul had Jesus and he recognized Jesus was better than anything. And so what Paul is saying to us, I think what God is saying to us through Paul is simply don't dare compare. If you want to have a life that is fulfilled, that truly follows hard after Jesus, that has a growing relationship with him in which you are content with what God has given you and who God has made you and where God is taking you, don't dare compare yourself to other people. It's fine to observe other people. It's fine to rejoice with those people when they are blessed or when they get a raise or when they get a promotion or where something goes well for them. It's fine to observe them. It's fine to rejoice with them. Do that. But don't dare compare yourself with them and lead to envy and jealousy of what they have. Because that is not the things that will satisfy. So one of the things that huge in our time, you know, 10 years ago, when I'm the, the points I'm about to make probably weren't as big of a deal, but social media, as you know, is, is huge in our society, right? 
everyone here probably has some type of social media account. It'd probably be easier for me to ask who doesn't have one and count the people who doesn't have one um, than who does have one. Social media is just now the, the, like, the battleground of this content and comparison trap and this thing that we fall into. Because what I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this before, is we start, I mean, we're observing constantly other people. Like that's the goal of social media, right? To get you seeing what other people are doing, seeing what other people have, seeing what other people think, seeing what other people put forth for you. And so what happens is this comparison trap, there's three things that I wanna share with you that happen that I wanna warn you against. The first one is this, false data. And I'll explain these in a minute, but I wanna go through all three. False data, faulty assumptions, and wrong conclusions. These three things are what absolutely destroy happiness, joy, and contentment in our lives when we compare with other people. There's actually research out there where scientists and scholars have studied this and they say that social media makes people less happy because of these things. Because what happens? False data. Let's think about this. How many of you love to share your favorite pictures of your kids being disobedient, of your car breaking down, of, of um, your wife and you fighting about something or the house being messy? How many of you love to share those pictures on social media? No one, right? No one. Yeah. You know, I, I took up golfing lately. There's a bunch of guys in here that, that got me golfing and I've never once shared a picture of me golfing. You know why? I'm not any good, right? I'm really bad. So, hey, look, I scored 125. Yeah, no, I'm not any good. So I don't share any pictures of it, right? So the false data idea is that what happens, and we need to recognize this, is we see people's best, right? We observe people's best. And then in our minds, we think about our worst, right? We see the pictures of folks smiling. We see the pictures of awards. We see the pictures of new this or new that. And we observe that. And then we compare what we have, our worst, our, you know, private moments that we don't share with anybody against the public moments that they are showing that's their best. And that naturally false data leads to us realizing, man, they must have it much better than I do, which is not true. They are just showing their best. You're thinking about your worst. False data. And what comes right after that is a faulty assumption. The faulty assumption, once you see a person smiling on social media or anywhere with something that you don't have, the faulty assumption is if I had fill in the blank, I would be happy, right? We do it almost like just subconsciously. Wow, look at them smiling on that new boat, man. If I had a new boat, I could smile like that. You know, that's kind of what happens. Or look at this new car. Oh, wow. Look, look, husband and wife smiling in this picture, man. If, if me and my, my wife, you know, smiled like that, we'd be happy. We'd be, you know, if we, and you didn't know they just fought right after that because that husband didn't want to take the picture, right? That's what happens, right? No, but so if that's what happens. Or this false data leads to these faulty assumptions that if I just had what I'm seeing out there, then I would be happy. And then the wrong conclusion comes naturally from that. I don't have that, therefore I'm not happy. Therefore I will never be happy. I can never obtain that. Therefore I will never be content and satisfied in my life. That's the comparison trap that we all fall into. But the reality of it, there is a lie 
that is hiding behind that entire thing that we have to call out and recognize. And the lie is this. The lie is that there is something in this world, there is something you can obtain here on earth, a worldly gain that will satisfy you. That's the lie that Satan wants every single one of us to buy in. That's the lie that society and, and corporate America and big business and tech wants us to buy into the, rea- the, the lie that there is something on this earth that we can obtain that will give us ultimate satisfaction. But that's the lie. Because scripture's clear, God's clear, Paul's clear that the only thing that can give us ultimate satisfaction is Jesus Christ. That there's nothing in this world that you can look to, that you can see and see here in this world that if you had that, you would be content, satisfied, happy, full of joy, purposeful life that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so that's why, that's why Paul says he doesn't dare compare. I don't dare classify or compare myself with those who commend themselves because he doesn't need to play that game because he's not about earning accolades and followers here on the earth. He's about winning souls to Jesus. And so he says, I have my treasure. It's Jesus. I have my greatest joy. It's Jesus I have a person who brings me complete contentment. It's Jesus. So I don't even need to compare. I don't even need to play this game because I don't need any of it because I'm content with Jesus. So kind of as we close out this morning, here's, here's the, the question. The question for you is, is, and question for me is, you know, where do you find yourself in this, in this passage? In these different people, we have Paul and we have the false teachers and we have the Corinthian church. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself using comparison to get ahead in life or to make yourself feel better about yourself? Or, or that's like the false teachers. That's what they were doing. They were using comparison to tell people how great they were. They love to puff themselves up. They love to talk about themselves. They love to, to, to just let their conceit be known to all. Let me tell you how great I am compared to all these other people. And if that's where you find yourself, Paul is saying, stop it. Stop comparing. Don't dare compare yourself because there's always somebody greater, always somebody better, always somebody bigger, but it's not worth comparing. Or maybe you find yourself with the Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians were seeing these great leaders, seeing these great teachers. I, I, um, I kind of uh, correlate with the Corinthians when I'm sitting down, maybe watching a sports show or something and a, an advertisement's come up on the screen. And, oh, it's a nice new golf club I see there. Man, mine is like 10 years old. You know, like the comparison, that's, that's the Corinthian church. They were being, being forced or tempted to compare all these people, decide which one was best and who would take them the furthest in the world. When Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that matters. I'm the only one that can give you joy and contentment. And if you find yourself there, remember that Jesus is the true treasure. Jesus is the only one that can bring true joy. And hopefully we find ourselves like Paul. You know, Paul said, I am pursuing Jesus. Paul had all the accolades. I don't know how well you know of Paul, the, the missionary apostle. He was top 
notch Jewish Pharisee taught in the best um, schools. He followed the highest, like he was the greatest of all Jews. He had a, like a rap sheet, you know, a mile long of how many different achievements and accolades and things he, he could, could boast about and say, this is how great I am. And Paul was actually going around persecuting Christians when Jesus radically changed his life. And at that point, when Jesus radically changed his life, his complete perspective changed and he realized every one of these worldly accomplishments, these worldly goods, these worldly gains is like trash. He says that, he says, when compared to knowing Jesus, my Lord, every single one of these gains that I've gained here on this earth is trash. He uses a, a worse word in the, in the actual Greek, but that's basically what he's saying. It's trash, it's worthless. It doesn't do anything for me anymore because now I know Jesus. Why would I compare myself with other people about all this junk down here that does nothing for me when I have the ultimate treasure in Jesus? And so that's what Paul, that's the type of people Paul wants us to be. Passionately pursuing Jesus instead of everything else. That when we see people who have earthly treasures, okay, I see it, it's good, but I don't compare myself to that because that will not fulfill me. That will not satisfy me. That will not make me happy because I have all I need in Jesus. You know, there's one type of comparison I do find in scripture and you've probably seen this before. And I'm thinking of like in Romans where the place where God shares with us a comparison between who he wants us to be, who he expects us to be and who we are. You know, in scripture, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what God would say when he says, do you want to compare? Do you, do you like to compare yourself? Compare yourself to Jesus and realize how short we fall when compared to Jesus. Because it's when we realize how short we fall compared to Jesus that we realize that Jesus came, died for us, lived the perfect life so that he, that he stood in that gap so that we would measure up to God's um, goal for us and God's standard for us. And so the only comparison that you see in scripture is John the Baptist. He said, I am not worthy to even tie the sandals of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said, I am nothing compared to Jesus. Paul said, I have a thorn in my flesh. It's when I'm weak that he is strong. The boasting and the comparison was how great and wonderful Jesus was in their life. So as we close out this morning, um, the enemy, the enemy of contentment in my life, the enemy of, your con of contentment in your life is comparison. And I think this morning, God's warning us from taking this, this trap of observing things, comparing ourselves to those things and becoming jealous of what we don't have 
and then becoming distrusting that maybe God isn't good because he doesn't, he hasn't given me that all the while feeding into the lie behind all that, that the things of this world can ultimately satisfy or can ultimately give us satisfaction and joy. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the only one who can do that. Stop comparing and just love people, care for people, rejoice with people, but don't dare compare yourself with other people. Let's pray.